following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. starting with verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he is borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? How are we doing again? All right, excellent. So I want to talk to you guys about witnesses this morning. Jesus Jesus's witnesses is the title. And, And the one thing that you need to understand is that good witnesses matter, right? Good witnesses, credible witnesses matter. Um, Since 1973, there have been roughly 160 convicts that were exonerated on death row. 160. Um, uh, Many many professional folks that do this for a living believe that there is a lot more uh, folks that are on death row the 3,000 plus or however many that are on there that, that, are, that have been on there through the years, many of them they believe that should not be. And what it comes down to oftentimes is witnesses, all right? Now, since the, since the advancement of DNA, um, DNA technology that allows folks to actually be able to take samples from a crime scene and then go and test those samples to determine if a person actually has been there, things have gotten somewhat better, but they still can be shaky from time to time. For example, there was one case where this woman believed that she had saw this man go into this particular house, and, and, or rather come into her house, and actually assault her. Now, she just knew it in her bones. They put, they put the whole uh, mug shots in front of her. She identified the man. She said, yes, that's the man. The man said, listen, I've never been on that street. I don't know that woman. But ultimately, that, one, that man was arrested, tried, convicted, and placed on death row. And it wasn't until DNA advancements, which happened years after this man was placed on death row, 
where they could go back and test all the evidence. And then they found out, sure enough, that this man was not the man, that in fact it was another man that really didn't even look like the man. But the woman was so traumatized, she identified that man as the man. And found out that this man, not only, was he, not only had he assaulted this woman, but he was a serial assaulter who had been let go and had that woman identified that man rightly, he would have been in jail. And it, but in, what ended up happening is that man was running free the whole time as a serial assaulter. Good witnesses matter. And so I want to talk to you about Jesus' witnesses because good witnesses actually matter. And Jesus has great witnesses in John chapter 5. He has fantastic witnesses in John chapter 5. The first witness that Jesus speaks to or speaks to us about is himself in verse 31. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. Now, Jesus is a very credible witness. He's a man that's never told a lie. He is God and God in the flesh, that everything he speaks is true. And yet, he says that I'm not, a, I'm not, not credible, but I'm not a witness that needs to speak alone on my behalf. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, Jesus does not feel like he needs to speak on his own behalf because legally more witnesses typically are required to legitimize a person's testimony, particularly in ancient Jerusalem. Jesus says later on in John chapter 8 that, hey, even your law says that at least there be two or three witnesses to establish a thing. Paul, even when, you, uh, when he talks to Timothy, young Timothy, a young, a young and up-and-coming pastor, he shares guidance and wisdom with him. And one of the things that he shares with him is that if you, if you find that someone brings a charge to a pastor and says, pastor so-and-so did this, that you should at least have two or three witnesses before you take that action any further. And so Paul says it, Jesus says it, even, even, even in the scriptures we see that multiple witnesses are necessary. And so Jesus says, listen, I myself will not witness alone. I just told you about what happens when you have one witness that you're dependent on. People end up dead possibly. So Jesus has three others besides himself, but this is not the only reason that Jesus' witness of, of himself is enough. The other reason that Jesus' witness, uh, witness of himself is not enough is because Jesus can't be his only witness if he has to come do only that which the Father has called, or if he says he has come to do only that which the Father has called him to do. So children, I'm giving some, any, 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 any uh, parents-to-be in the house. I, I know a few. I see a few. All right. The parents that are already, you know, in the game, they've been in the game for a little while. They kind of know how this happens. They know how this operates, you know, especially if you have a child that's talking now. All right. But if you don't have a child that's talking now, hold on, you're going to see it. But here's how this happens. All right. Child comes to uh, child comes to dad and says, dad, um, can I, can I go to so-and-so or dad, can I have such and such? And, and, and dad says, um, uh, I don't know, what, your mom, what does your mom think? Go, go ask your mom. And then, then child goes to mom, and what does child say? Does child say, hey, dad's kind of mulling this thing over about, um, about whether or not I should get this. So dad's kind of mulling this thing over about, you know, whether I should be able to go on this trip or not. What does child say? Child says, dad said I can go, right? <laughs> hey, mom, dad, 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 dad said I can go, uh, go to so-and-so. Is that all right with you? 
Well, I mean, if your dad said you can go, that's, that's all right. Child runs game on dad and mom, right? What, so this is parenting one-on-one. This is how you win over or win in the game of child craftiness. You, when child comes and says, hey, can I go, can I go so-and-so, you say, let me talk to your mom about it. And you collectively talk about it and then come back and say, yes or no, you can go, right? So just taking child's word that dad said, I can go, probably isn't very convincing for the world. And so Jesus is saying, I come and I come on behalf of my father. I do only that which my father does. And they're saying, hey, we, we haven't talked to your father, so how do we know? How do we know? Does that make sense? And so Jesus says, okay, I'm going to give you more witnesses beyond myself. That way you will understand that it's not just me, but it is credible witnesses speaking on behalf of me. And the first witness that he speaks to is John the Baptist in, in verses 33 and 35, 33 through 35. Look there. He says, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be Say Now, for those unfamiliar, John the Baptist was Jesus' blood cousin, but his other connection to Jesus, believe it or not, was far more significant and far greater and far more important. John was the forerunner to Jesus. If you want to understand it in hip-hop language, he was the ultimate hype man for Jesus. He came before Jesus got on stage, and he went and said, hey, man, come on, everybody, here's Jesus. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And people were getting baptized unto repentance, and everybody was hanging out with John. John's out in the wilderness. He's eating crazy stuff, right, wild locusts and honey, um, or locusts and wild honey, or however that mixture goes. It's something like that. And so he's eating crazy stuff, okay, and he's wearing camel skin, all right, so, so, so he's not quite the hype man of the day. You know, the hype man dresses a little fancier than John. But nevertheless, he's out there, and he's saying, the king, he's saying, listen, the kingdom is here because the Christ is. Come and get baptized unto repentance. Prepare the way for the Lord. John chapter 1, verse 24, it says, They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So from the mouth of John the Baptist, the one who preached powerfully a message of repentance, Declares, he declares to the masses with that mouth, behold the Lamb of God. He continues to declare that. The next day comes along. John says again as he sees Jesus Christ, behold the Lamb of God. So John bears witness along with Jesus that he is exactly who he says he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was necessary, listen, for us. We needed to hear John's words. But while it may be necessary for us, it wasn't necessary for Jesus. He says it in verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp talking about John. You were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but the testimony I have is greater than that of John. I don't need John's testimony. 
Jesus doesn't need our witness. Jesus doesn't need man's witness. The witness he carries exceeds man's witness. We need man's witness. For, our, for the sake of our own salvation, we need man's witness to declare to us the Christ. Which moves him into his third witness, verse 36. Look there. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The works of Jesus bear witness about Jesus. Now, the works of Jesus were more than just the signs that Jesus did, although the signs were essential and the signs were important. But the works are more than those signs. The works are all of Jesus' works on earth. His quiet moments of perfectly obeying the Father's will are included in that. His resistance to the temptations of Satan as, he, as, G, as, as the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting and praying. His movement from place to place sharing the good news that he brought. All of those works he did with the Father, not apart from the Father, with the Father. However, the signs were certainly evidence that he indeed was working with the Father, right? Beyond earthly reach and earthly grasp, water to wine, healing on command, healing, healing whether present with, with the sick or not present with the sick. These works bear witness that the Father has sent him. But lastly, the signature works that bear witness are the ones that you and I reap the benefits of in eternal ways. His merciful willingness to lay his life down in crucifixion and take upon himself the burden of the wrath of God. His power ableness in being raised from the dead with all of the authority of the Father in his hand. These works testify that the Father sent him. The work of your salvation testifies that the Father has sent him. The life that is transformed that you live out on a day-to-day -day basis testifies that the Father has sent him. These works bear witness that the Father indeed sent Christ, but they also bear witness as to why he sent him. He sent him to save. Amen? Which leads us to the fourth witness. The third witness Jesus speaks of is the works. The fourth witness that Jesus speaks of is the Father himself. Verse 37, look with me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. He himself has borne witness about me. But listen, his voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you, do, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. This is interesting because we know from, John's te or from, from Matthew's testimony, we know that when Jesus was baptized, that in Matthew chapter 3, the Father's voice is actually heard, isn't it? That, that in Matthew chapter 3, after Jesus is baptized, immediately, immediately, the Spirit of God, descending like a dove, comes to rest on him. And behold, in verse, eight, verse 17 of chapter 3 of Matthew, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am 
well pleased. And so a voice came from heaven testifying of the fact that this is my son, and yet Jesus says you haven't heard it, and you haven't seen it. And even though you, even though you read this Bible every day and spend hours pouring through it, it's not in you. And the question is why? Why haven't they seen the Father? Why haven't they heard from the Father? And why, to, talk, to, to speak to the Word not living in them, that simply means that they don't know Him. So why have they not seen, heard, or know the Father, even though they're spending so much time pouring over and trying to understand Him? And it's for this simple reason, because you do not believe the one whom He sent. See, if you don't accept Jesus, then the reality is, is that you haven't heard from him, you haven't seen him, and you don't know him. Jesus says in John chapter 14 that when, when Philip, when one, of his, when one of his disciples said, Lord, show us the Father and then we'll believe. It's enough for us if you show us the Father. And, and Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the accounts of the works themselves. Jesus said that when you look at me, you see God the Father. And so if you don't look at me and believe, it's because you don't know him either. Does that make sense to you? Oneness with God the Father means that without belief in Jesus, the Father can't be reached. You know, in popular culture, popular, popular, you know, just pop culture in general, there's this idea that, hey, we're all kind of serving a God, right? And so as long as you serve your God and I serve my God and that guy over there serves his God, then eventually it'll all kind of wash out and we'll all be in heaven together. The reality is, is that even Jesus is setting aside himself and saying, listen, I am exclusive. You have to go through me. And if you don't go through me, whether or not you believe it or whether or not you understand it, you have not heard from God, you have not seen God, and you do not know God. Are you tracking with that? Jesus is making a definitive statement about his exclusivity. He is saying that all man must come through me. He's like, he later on says it in chapter 6, that no man come to the Father unless they come through me. Can't go around and get to God through Buddha. Can't go around and get to God through Confucius. You can't go around and get to God through any other means or any other trails. You must go through Jesus because in Jesus is the perfect image of the Father. Now understand, it's not theological rigor that is keeping them from seeing the Father. Jesus says in verse 39 of John chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. You search. In other words, these are people that are pouring over the Old Testament. They are pouring over the Bible looking for evidence about God. 
They're looking for eternal life as they read their Bibles. These aren't theological slackers. These are people that know their Bibles and that are studying their Bibles well. So it's not theological rigor that is keeping them from seeing God. It is the denial of Jesus that is keeping them from seeing God. Jesus says that the scriptures bear witness to me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He said, you're searching for eternal life in scripture. You're searching for it in the words, but you can't find it in the words until you first find it in the person. Does that make sense? The words aren't significant until the person becomes significant. The scripture absent the Christ cannot bring us life. The scriptures with Christ brings us life. Now, why is that a struggle for us? Well, Jesus has sufficient witnesses. He has himself. He has his works. He has his father. He has John the Baptist, a great man whom they respected. So why is it such a struggle to embrace and believe? Jesus gives us hints in verse 41. He says, I do not receive glory from people but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. The struggle for the Jews to embrace him is not merely intellectual. That's not the problem. And the same can be said about the struggle that I face to believe. The same can be said about the struggle that you face to believe. The same can be said about the struggle that maybe someone in this room, some of you in this room, are struggling to believe now. Nevertheless, here's why they struggle. Number one is because Jesus does not receive glory from people. He said, I don't receive glory from people. Jesus' works are completely independent of the need for the world's affirmation. He doesn't need our approval. He doesn't need our applause. He doesn't need our accolades. He doesn't need our praise. As a matter of fact, he says in Luke 19, if these folks out here won't praise, rocks will. So he doesn't need any of it. And someone who operates independent of our wishes and needs is tough for us to get behind and tough for us to grasp. Someone who refuses to be conformed into our image, someone that demands that we be conformed into his, right? Because he doesn't need our praise, he doesn't need to budge on who he is. And that makes it difficult for people that are demanding that a God be placed before them that is in their image. The true Jesus isn't moved by promises of our applause, and thus he will not change to suit our own preferences and ideas of who he should be. Which is why we end up making so many versions of him. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's the trick-or-treat Jesus that gives us money. It's the, it's the you know, it's the, uh, it's the American Jesus. It's the Republican Jesus, the Democratic Jesus. We have to make versions of our Jesus because he refuses to be shaped and molded in our image. He requires that we be shaped and molded in his. That causes struggles with belief. The other reason is that Jesus is motivated by his love for God. We, God the Father, we are not. Jesus is difficult to grasp because his motivation comes from his love for God the Father. The motivation for most of us in this world as we struggle with belief comes from typically our first love, our love of self. He says, but I know, talking to the people that are struggling to believe, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. 
faith and love have a very close relationship. The scripture often ties faith and love in together. So the hurdle of belief for this crowd is also established through the absence of love they carry for God the Father. Let me share something with you. You trust what you love. You submit to what you love. You obey what you love. You follow what you love. The crowd loved, as most of us do from time to time, ourselves, themselves, in their ways. The crowd loved the applause and the glory of others. And this love allowed them to look directly into the face of the Messiah and to witness his miracles, to witness his healing, and to still reject and attempt to discredit him and his witnesses. You know, Tim, Tim, Tim Keller, um, author and pastor in New York, um, well, actually, he's retired pastor now. He's doing some other things in ministry. Tells a story about a tactic that an old college pastor associate of his used when catching up with college students who were coming home from school. He'd ask them to catch, you know, grab a cup of coffee so they can sit down and talk. And eventually in this conversation, you know, things would lead over into spiritual matters. And he would ask them how things were going in terms of their spiritual life. And they would begin to kind of wrestle with it and talk about how difficult things are and how they have some doubts now. They've taken a philosophy class. They've taken a science class. Um, and, and it's starting to shake their foundation up a little bit. Not really sure if this Jesus thing is all that real. And at that point, that college professor that college pastor associate would look at them and ask them one question. So who have you been sleeping with? Shocked, their faces would. How did you know? Here's the reason. It's because before it's intellectual belief, it is emotional heart belief. Many of our hurdles are not intellectual. Many of our hurdles are hard. And the idea that if this God is real, what does that mean for what I have to lay down for this God? Are you tracking with that? And so what happens is our heart says, I don't want to do this because I love this. And then we start building up all these intellectual arguments and intellectual walls as to why we can't do it, right? And so even though people start poking holes in those intellectual walls, we still have this emotional wall that's behind that intellectual wall that says, listen, I don't want to give up what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. You love what you trust. You love what you trust. Our faith problems are often problems of the heart and problems of the will before they are problems of the intellect. And so these folks in, 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 in this particular narrative, glory of man, glory of self, love of man, love of self, are hurdles to their belief. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 43 and 44. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in my name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In other words... They won't believe the Son of God, but they would believe someone else as long as that someone else came in a way that sought their favor and was willing to appease them and give them exactly what they wanted as well as tell them what they wanted to hear. Do you understand? So the belief comes with the person who's going to Glorify self. 
Many people who would laugh at the ideal about a God being in heaven, worthy of worship, despite all the evidence pointing to that reality, would also weep in adoration and praise if their favorite movie star, singer, and rapper walked through the doors right now, right? Everybody's worshiping something. And so as people laugh at, laugh at people that say, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in God in heaven, we believe that there's an eternal life, people chuckle at that, but then you turn on the TV and you see people weeping when Beyonce walks through a mall. Some people that chuckle at the idea that, that you and I, or that some, that, that, that some of us in this room, take our counsel from biblical, from the Bible, and that we take wisdom from the Bible, and we, we pour over it, and we gnaw on it, and we internalize it. And some people that chuckle and say, what, what kind, of, kind of idiot takes, you know, their wisdom from this ancient old book that, you know, means nothing? They literally pour over the words that Jay-Z and Kanye share on rap interviews and they treat it like it's solid gold. Do you understand? He says, if another comes in my name, you receive him. Why? Because that other, or if another comes in his own name, you receive him. Why? Because that other that comes, comes with the glory of self. Lastly, in verse 45 through 47, as we close, he says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, he will believe. How will you believe my words? In this, we see both the offense and the testimony of the Old Testament. The offense and the testimony of the Old Testament. When he talks about Moses, he says that there is one that accuses you, Moses, on, you, on whom you have set your hope. The, when he says that Moses accuses these folk, you have to understand that this is highly offensive to this group. These are people of Moses, right? These are people that love Moses. They pour over the first five books of the Bible. They know them in and out. And so when he says that Moses accuses you, this is deeply offensive to this audience. But the reason that he says Moses accuses you is because, look, Moses has been talking about me, and you haven't been paying attention. When Moses says, for example, in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18, that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is him it is to him you shall listen, just as you desire of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. When he talks about, when Moses talks about thousands of years that the Lord is going to raise up a prophet like him, he is talking about Jesus. When Ezekiel and Isaiah speak of the one that is to come, they are talking about Jesus. When David speaks of the eternal kingdom that is to come, he, and, and the eternal king that will reign over that eternal kingdom, he is talking about Jesus. And so Jesus' point is, look, you've been looking at these scriptures, but you haven't been seeing me. And because you reject me, the very scriptures that you love are accusing you. 
For if you believe Moses, he said, you would believe me. If you believed Moses, then you would know that I am the one that he spoke of. When you read your Old Testament, you should see throughout shadows of Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait till the new to get there. Jesus is being pointed to throughout the old. Does that make sense? And so, as we, as we prepare to leave, and there's someone in here, maybe you don't know Jesus, maybe you're, maybe you're kind of working through these things, maybe you're saying, you know, there's been a lot said about Jesus, I don't know what to believe. Listen, let me tell you this, Jesus is not operating in the banks of witnesses that are seeing wrong people and getting people on death row for no reason. Jesus is operating in the banks of the most credible witnesses that this world has ever seen. Jesus is operating on the banks of his own father in heaven who spoke from heaven to validate his witness. Jesus is operating on the banks of works that even history has identified and shown that have taken place. Jesus is operating on the banks of a resurrection from the dead that serves as witness. And even, and even and, and another thing, Jesus is operating on the banks of a, of a work that brought salvation. When he was hung on the cross, he spilled his blood. He took the place of sinners like me and like you. He took the punishment that a holy God demanded for sin, that a perfect God demanded for imperfection. He was lifted on that tree. And he bore that sin. He bore that punishment as a witness that he is exactly who he says he is. That he is Christ, that he is mighty, but that he is mighty to save. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you and appreciate you. We ask, Lord God, that as we prepare to leave this room, Lord God, that your spirit would go with us. We ask, Lord God, if there is anyone who does not know you in this room, that you would make yourself known in the life of that person if they struggle with their doubts, Lord God. Lord God, may the witnesses that you, that you had, Lord God, may they, may they serve, Lord God, in offering credible testimony to your deity, to your goodness, to your holiness, to your love, and to your ability to save to the uttermost, Lord God. Father, we love you, we thank you, we give you all the praise, and we give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.